This is the Leprechaun Museum podcast, where we don't just talk about leprechauns, but about all of Irish folklore yes. and mythology. Eventually. We'll, we'll get through all of it, eventually. Uh-huh. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> and today, we're talking about... Home and hospitality. We'll start it off with why are we talking about home we, and hospitality. We should probably introduce ourselves. That will be helpful. As well. Yeah. Uh, so... I'm Shannon. I'm Stephen. I'm Nisha. Um, so, why home and hospitality? Well, the home is the traditional, well, home of Irish storytelling. It didn't usually happen in a museum, but happened in a house with your entire family and probably all your neighbours there as well. And don't forget the cows. Oh, yes. And the pig in the middle. And a yeah. few chickens. Mm-hmm. And then hospitality, well, how did all your neighbours end up there? You invited them. And, um, well, hospitality is, it has a kind of a weird place in Ireland. Day. <laughs> yeah, um, if you ever get invited to someone's house, they offer you a cup of tea. You have to say no first. And mm-hmm. the second time. Yeah, you say no the first and the second time. The third time you say, I'll go on then. And then they offer you milk. And sugar, you go, oh no, 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 I, I don't want to be a bother, I don't want to be a bother. But you take the milk and the sugar, <laughs> and then the biscuits come out. Now you say, I'll just have a plain digestive. But of course, sure, they don't have plain digestives because they are lies, not biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> so out come the chocolate hobnobs, or indeed the Mikados on the good oh. days. Yeah, that'll be the Sunday biscuit. For anyone who doesn't know what a Mikado is, it is. Um, Ambrosia. Oh yes, it is beautiful. It's right. It's very hard to describe, but it, there's there's a biscuity base that's like a biscuit, you know. Then there are two mountains of marshmallow, pink marshmallow, topped with coconut, and the river between the mountains of the marshmallow is jam. To eat a macado, you have to lick the jam. You lick between the mountains. This is sounding very, very dodgy. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and then you break. <laughs> then you break it in half, and you use your teeth <laughs> to scour the mountains, and then you leave the biscuit because, of course, the biscuit is the worst part of the. That sounds like a kingship ritual. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is a, not the kings of <laughs> This is a modern Irish hospitality ritual, but um, traditionally, hospitality. Well, it it was enshrined in Brahman law. Actually. It was indeed. Yeah. Um, like most people of all classes were required to do a certain amount of hospitality, uh, especially for whoever their their lord or their leader was. Mm-hmm. But there was also a class of people called the uh, Brigu, who mm-hmm. had to offer hospitality to absolutely everyone. They and were could essentially not deny it. like pub landlords. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And um, they could be brought absolutely to ruin because of this. <laughs> they could end up losing everything yeah. and they'd still not be allowed to turn anyone away. They, they were financially supported by their local king or mm-hmm. lord, depending on your locality. Yeah. And they, were, they were given lands that had to support the hospitality to give everyone. So they'd have a certain amount of livestock and arable land as well. But um, yeah, it was considered incredible incredibly rude to turn anyone away mm-hmm. it was literally breaking the law it was yeah, you would be fined yeah, you, <laughs> you, if you refused hospitality you have to pay the, the honor, honor price, price of the person you refused mm-hmm. so obviously it was more serious to refuse like a king as yep. opposed to 
more common person. The the main exception to that being uh, a criminal, who, someone who was outside of the law because they had yeah. refused a Breton's judgment or something, and mm. were therefore not classed as a person anymore. <laughs> Just people who are outside of the law. Yes, that is well. Now, that was one of the things about hospitality, is in mm. some ways it was there to facilitate travel. Because mm. back, mm-hmm. like, that's why it's, it was such a popular thing across Europe. Mm-hmm. Because if you weren't wanted to go and move any sort of distance away from your community, you wanted to be sure you'd be safe wherever you arrived. So that's why you had the rules of hospitality. The mm-hmm. problem is, if you went outside of your essentially your kingdom, you had no legal status. Nope. No. <laughs> only, the only people who could travel around and still have their honor price were as people for kings, mm-hmm. people on military campaigns, and it's not like you're, they're going to stop and pay the fine anyway. And um, storytellers. Storytellers. Storytellers, yeah. yeah. Storytellers, once again, breaking the rules. <laughs> we used to be like top of the food chain. What happened? <laughs> yeah. We all know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not here to push our social <laughs> No, that was the last podcast. Yeah. No, but it was very serious business. Hospitality was taken very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why you had rules governing it and then it still did continue to modern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen a couple of different kind of reasons yeah. offered as to why, because it's not like it was a purely Irish thing. It is no. made a huge deal of in the history and in the stories. Like you, you still see uh, a version of what we used to have, say in modern day Mongolia, yeah. or something like that, where you are basically required to let somebody stay with you and feed yeah. them if they show up. Mm-hmm. You're not letting them stay with you for free, though. There is a price to pay, but it's not monetary, which is why I love this. It's that you have to pay them in something worthy. So it could be food or something Mm -hmm. like that, but you use one of your skills or something you've brought with you as payment. So if you're a warrior, you Mm -hmm. defend them against vagabonds or the like. If you're a storyteller, you tell a story. If you're Uh a musician, you play some music. Whatever your skill set is, you bring that to the table as your price for the hospitality. So it's it's a really lovely little bartering system and like great way of communication as well. Yeah, because mm. it, it, like, it can seem a bit like draconian on the outside about somebody shows up at your house and now you have to support and feed them. There was reciprocation. There, was, yeah. like, you, mm. there were rules for welcoming people to your home and rules when you were someone's guest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you broke hospitality yeah. on either end, terrible yeah. things. Even nowadays, you turn up to a dinner party, you bring a bottle of wine at least. <laughs> yeah, a pineapple. Yes. <laughs> and a pie. I've eaten the pie. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not a Black Books reference. <laughs> oh no. No, that never happens on no, this podcast. Something outside of Irish folklore. No. <laughs> Irish folklore is eternal. So, one of the things I also wanted to talk about was just the actual the houses themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now, I certainly make a big deal of it on the tours. I'm not sure yeah. if you guys do, but... A little bit. Yeah. The, the, well, Lots of people in a tiny little space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what we technically call the cottage would actually be known as an Irish cabin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was at one stage the probably the most popular mm-hmm. building in the country. Mm-hmm. I think it was forty-two percent of the population pre-famine lived yeah. in those one-room cabins. A lot yeah. of those are actually still standing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. One of the lovely little folklore tidbits I love about these is that. So the actual reason there's loads of empty <laughs> ones there is the famine, because um. <clears throat> 
Anyway, the, the popular folklore, um, the popular folklore reason why these houses are still standing is that when the old people pass away, as they are wont to do, and they come back on certain nights of the year, like Samhain, Halloween, they like to come back to places that are familiar to them. So they like to come into their old homes and sit by the hearth and go about their business in a place that well, they know. Mm -hmm. So if you knock down those places, they've nowhere to go and they might come to your house. <laughs> and that's not necessarily something you want. No, not always. Yeah. But when when I lived in Leash, we had this um this woods near our house. And we had one of those little uh, cottages mm -hmm. in the woods, but there were trees growing up through it. Um and it was terrifying yeah. to be out around that <laughs> yeah, at night. Yeah. It was awful. Mm -hmm. And it really felt like um, a place where you'd meet the Fargarta. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that, just, just saying Leash there, it has reminded me of a really excellent story. Oh. Because I know that, that for knowledge, there was, what, there was a question coming up later on that was written on the board inside of, why do homes get haunted? Mm -hmm. And... Just saying we should remind me of this one. It's a story that's basically the premise is that some people said the landscape itself held memory. It's like you're saying, mm -hmm. the soul wanting to return to a familiar place and strong emotional events can be remembered by the landscape or the house itself. And this one actually took place in place in Leash. Mm -hmm. And it all started with a man who had a nervous breakdown mm -hmm. and his friend rented him two weeks in a nice little cottage tucked away in leash just to get out of the city. Nothing to do but stay there and write. I think this was in the like late 60s, early 70s. So rural Ireland was pretty much actually 1870s, 1880s. More or less. Yeah. <laughs> so there was no electricity in the little cabin he found. There was no running water. He had to go out to a well at the back to get his water. Uh, but nice and peaceful, no one had been there for ages, and when he was asking for directions to the house when he arrived in the leash, people kept giving him weird looks, going, oh, in that house are you? Mm. <laughs> and he asked one of them, like, so what's, what's the deal with the house, why is it so cheap? Like, well, just, no, no, I wouldn't believe it, but some people in the area believe that the place is haunted. Bradley says he doesn't believe in that. Mm -hmm. He goes to the house, passes by, most of the first night, absolutely fine. But then around 12, 1 o'clock, he hears something outside, and he goes goes to the window, can't see anything at all, and then he hears this voice going, come home. And it sounds really, really distressing, so he runs downstairs, expecting to see someone, nothing. Then as he's going back upstairs, come home, and runs back down, sees nothing. Hmm. Passes the night, goes back to sleep, wakes up the next day, asks the neighbour, and he says, ah, okay, you know then. Apparently there used to be a, father, a man living in the house with his daughter. The daughter was very rebellious and decided that she wanted to leave and go up to Dublin. And he, he forbade her to. She ran off up to the big smoke. <laughs> Never came back. She apparently ran afoul of some sailors in the docks three days after she arrived and was murdered. He didn't know for years. He just kept going out every single night and going come home, please come home. And then eventually he died, and it said that every so often people were sensitive to it, could still hear him saying that. 
Yeah, that's lovely. And the, 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 the daughter the running afoul of the sailors, mm. um, that reminds me of something from kind of modern Dublin lore. Mm. Um, have you noticed the, the white lady statues yeah. sometimes yeah, people yeah. have in their uh, windows? Um, that's just made by a place in Dublin and the person who made it, he just sculpted something and decided let's use it as a plaster cast. There was no story behind it, but a lot of people around Dublin have made stories about it. And one of them is about a young woman who ran afoul of some sailors yeah. and was dragged out onto the ship and the ship was wrecked and she was the only one who survived the sinking. Which is just an odd piece, especially as it comes out of something people used to decorate their houses. Yeah. That's what it's for. Yeah, And you, you see it a lot around working class areas in yes. Dublin. Yeah, yeah. I remember my grandmother used to have one in the window. It's just a really familiar sight that you'll mm, see all yeah. around Dublin, and it's pretty exclusive to Dublin as well. Actually. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Some people from uh, more affluent parts of Dublin um, <laughs> like to say that if that is in the window of someone's home, it is a sign that you can either buy heroin there or that it is a brothel. Oh, posh wankers. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Classism. Yeah. <laughs> No, um, I don't think my grandmother was a dealer, no, to be honest. Um, speaking of haunted houses, my mother was convinced for years that our house was haunted. Yeah. Right, by the ghost of a woman called Angela Davis. Right, and this started when we'd mo we moved into the house about... How old is my brother? 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we started receiving posts for this woman, Angela Davis. And... We kept getting more and more and more posts. And then the post started arriving opened. Oh. So we obviously jumped to the clear conclusion that Angela Davis was opening her post and putting it back in the post box. Mm -hmm. And then when we got that idea into our heads, we started seeing things around the house. <laughs> so anything that went even slightly wrong, a book would fall off a shelf, Angela Davis. The <laughs> radio would change channel, Angela Davis. A mug would break in the dishwasher, Angela Davis. Of course. And we eventually tried to contact, um, it was mostly Ulster Bank, we're trying to get in contact with Angela Davis. Of course. Angela Davis had an overdraft of £3.50. <laughs> that has snowballed into about 400 quid. <laughs> so we came up with this story that Angela Davis had actually run off to Scotland. Well, she tried to run off, but before she had, she fell down the stairs and died. And now... <laughs> was unable to repay her debt to Ulster Bank. <laughs> That's the greatest tragedy of all, really. Yeah. Um, but, like, these sorts of haunting stories in homes, they they tend to crop up a lot, and that's kind of how they develop. Yeah. yeah. And then, for example, the Angela Davis story, that's something we've told our neighbours, and now they, they've kind of cottoned on to it. So, um, I don't know, I, I think that's a, it's a real example of how folklore yeah, yeah. kind of perpetuates itself, yeah, and it all it absorbs through other things. I just have this strange feeling that we should really answer some questions. Though. Yeah. I know. It's odd feeling. Nice crinkly sound. ASMR. Ah, I work for the NHS. <laughs> Good. One of our Irish doctors once asked me if I was one of the good folk because, as he put it, I was small, a bit feisty, and that was his exact words. 
the small people of Ireland aren't very nice, and you are so small, and you're not particularly nice. Back Jesus, stop. you must have really hated you. <laughs> that is horrible. Yeah, oh my that's god. That's a terrible thing to say to someone. <laughs> yes, to answer your question, um, he was horrible. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really say anything else. Um, report question, him but... to human resources. Sort <laughs> out that problem right away. Yeah. Uh, excellent for working in the NHS. Really appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Oh, this one's written on a thing for sounds from the shadows. Excellent. Uh, plug away. <laughs> ah, yes. Here. It's another storytelling podcast based in Dublin. Are Look the Marrow based on Aquaman? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yes. 100% yes. See, Aquaman appeared to St. Patrick many years ago. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I love that you called him Aquaman like Aquaman. his name is Joseph Aquaman or something. <laughs> it's <Aquaman>. not. <laughs> of the New York Aquaman. <laughs> oh, not, not of the Longford Aquamans. <laughs> no, 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 no. The Longford Aquamans were, came over in the plantations. So. Yeah. We should probably explain the Merrow. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Merrow are like the Irish mermaids. They don't have fish tails. They have webbed fingers and webbed feet instead. And they wear little caps that let them breathe underwater. And they take them off and they can breathe on land. Yeah. And, and they drown people. Yeah, they, they sometimes drown people. Generally more popular in the southwest. Yes. Of mm-hmm. Ireland. And as I recall, to this day, a lot of families are said to be descended from them. Yes. Uh, if you meet someone from Ireland who has webbed fingers or toes, they were probably descended from a mirror. That or their mother bathed in the Liffey while they were pregnant. <laughs> I mean, yes. But... As we all know, the Liffey is a breeding ground for Barra people. He's right, but he shouldn't say it. Okay, I got one here. What's the most outlandish story about St. Patrick? Oh, that's a toughie. Oh, I love the one about the fires. <laughs> so there's a, there's a festival in Ireland called Bialtana. Mm-hmm. Bialtana is our summer festival. It's also the the Irish word for the month of May. But it's it's known as a fire festival. You light fires on top of a hill, and everyone would put out their fires. Mm-hmm. Then, One time of the year was safe to do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then there's a big bonfire lit, and everyone lights their fires for the year from that bonfire. Saint Patrick was having none of this though, oh, no. and he decided to light a opposing fire <laughs> on another hill. Which okay. <laughs> Right, this was a late Easter because apparently it was both Bealtaine and Easter. E- I don't know when Easter is fallen in May, but there Who we knows are. when Easter is in Ireland? Apparently, yeah. Skellig, Skellig Islands are in another time zone entirely because it happens three three weeks later there. So yeah, we don't know. but yeah, Saint Patrick has a tantrum fire. <laughs> um, and goes, my God's better than your God. <laughs> Basically, that's it. I also think just it's not acknowledged enough how mm-hmm. weird it is that he drives the snakes out of Ireland. <laughs> like, how does he do it? Does he get a big net? <laughs> or like individually chasing each one of them? But you think he'd I, chase one and it I've and another always, comes back. It's No, I've always imagined it like whacking day and yeah. when he's running around. <laughs> Snake whacking day. <laughs> I have read it an idea on that. That it was um it wasn't actually snakes, that's just a mistranslation, and it was actually paste. Because yeah. there, there is a story about him killing 
a big page in Loch Derg. Yeah. A page is like a big scaly dragon type monster. It's that in that vein of things. Think what uh, I was gonna say think of dragon, but Mark would kill me. Um, <laughs> so it's a yeah, water serpent. They can some of them times they can talk, they're mm-hmm. intelligent, they were sometimes said to guard treasure. They're as closest to a dragon as you're gonna get in Ireland mm-hmm. because we don't do those over here. <laughs> also, fun fact, paste is also the word for a common or garden worm. Yes. My my favourite part about the story of St. Patrick killing the page in Loch Derg yeah. is that it's also told about Brian Maru, yeah. Fionn McCool, yeah. O'Sheen, and Daniel O'Connell. Of course. <laughs> Good old Dan. For anyone who doesn't know who Daniel O'Connell is, he was... Um, Our Lord and Saviour. The Great Liberator. <laughs> Hello, Emily. Where have you been? <laughs> to speak by Daniel O'Connell, as we all are. <laughs> if there truly is a father of the modern nation... I mean, there's a big statue of him at the top of O'Connell Street. Not of them. <laughs> Surrounded by angels for some reason. No but one can figure were, out why. But they were supposed to be his four virtues, mm-hmm. I think. Um, oh. we, we covered it in Leaving Cert Art at one oh. point. Dan the man. But uh, I also like the one that sang uh, El Glendalough mm-hmm. with uh, St. Kevin. Oh, see, Kevin. I, I always think it, like Kevin is having a Australian accent. Hello. I'm saying Kevin. No, that's Cockney. Yeah, that was Cockney. I'm very tired. Well, I mean, people get on quite well in Australia. He preferred animals to people. Mm-hmm. More so, but he did manage to get rid of the page to the upper lake of Glendalock. True. Yes. Apparent some versions of that one went over to the Loch Ness. It was the job of saints to fight any local monsters, so. Yep. <laughs> They're kind of like the ancient Irish Ghostbusters. <laughs> Who you got to call? The Saints of Ireland. <laughs> They'll sort it out. Got a snake worth banishing? We'll be there. Well, that's what all the male saints will do. Then you call Bridget to actually do the hard work. <laughs> actually, yeah. you call them, you call the female saints. Yeah. The male saints, they do nothing. Except mm. fight over books. Do we have time for one more question? Yeah. Who wants to read? Holding to someone... Has Shannon had a question yet? I don't know. I, I just... Yeah, I just did. Uh, oh, did okay, I'll take it, so! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. Who'd win in a fight? Coo Cullen or Fionn McCool? Ooh. Well, that depends a lot on... Uh, whether Does Coo Cullen have his have hurl and schlitter with him? You can have his hurl... Well, see, they're both got a hurling, so I think hurls should be the weapon of choice. Okay, okay. Does Fionn get a chance to suck his thumb first? Because if, if he does, okay. he knows how to need, win. I think we need two scenarios here. But if Coo Cullen has the gay vulgar. I was going to mm-hmm. say. Or as I like to call it, the gay bulge. The gay bulge. Uh, well, he had the gay bulge for Ferdio, all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> his <clears throat> foster brother, no, yeah. definitely lovers. I mean, they like... Licked each other's wounds and as you do, yeah, as had a bit of a roll in the hay. Saliva is antiseptic. <laughs> but uh, yes, and so if he has the gay vulgar, then I believe Hyun needs to have a go on his thumb. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. Emily looks like she's about to vomit all over the laptop. Vicious darts. Okay, (laughs) and if but for a fair competition between the two, if you just give them both some hurls, let them wail away at each other. No one gets to suck on any thumbs. No one gets any gay bulgas. And are they the same 
Oh, that's important um, too. Oh, actually, yeah. Mm. I think the only fair time would be in their thirties, just before people and that. Yeah, the Jesus yeah. age. Of course. Yeah. Best yeah. age. So thirty-two, we'll say. Okay, okay, 32. 32. I'd say there's a good chance that Coop Holland will win. Rhea Stratt. Even beyond that, mm-hmm. he was a trained, yeah. trained fighter, whereas yeah. all the stories, he, being a show-off that he is, he always... Yeah. I'm pretty sure he kills someone in every story. No, yeah, yeah absolutely. And he has that thing where his superpower is just getting really angry. Yeah. 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 And whereas Fionn, he's... He Fionn's, his way around yeah. weapons. Fionn's power is in his his loyalties within the Fianna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of the stories, the Fianna kind of come to his rescue. Yeah. Even yeah. the Enchanted Cave of Keshkorn, Gulmak Morna, who who's his enemy? Yeah. Oh, this is a brilliant quote about this. So I'm going on a tangent. Um, <laughs> just gonna ride this way. Been on a tangent um, for a long time. So this brilliant quote where um, Gulmak Morna wouldn't hesitate to kill a brother of Fionn McCool, mm-hmm. but would stop. With the brother halfway killed, if Fionn was in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So he hated him, but he loved him. He inspires yeah. that kind of loyalty. Yeah. So if you had it as a, if it was a team versus team, Fionn. Fionn. Oh yes. Yeah. No. Fionn but individually, like one on one combat, who call in hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like if we're if we're mm-hmm. if we've taken away the gay bulga and we've chopped off Fionn's thumb, then um yeah absolutely who call in wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's enough. Back to home and hospitality. <laughs> so we're, we've kind of delved a little bit into the ancient Irish characters and stories, but there's one that relates particularly to hospitality, and that mm-hmm. is Bress. Yes, uh, Bress. Okay, so Bress was the king of the Tua de Danann after the second battle of Moitura. During this battle, the mm-hmm. older king, Nuada, he had had his arm chopped off, so he couldn't be king anymore because he was blemished, and you can't have an unblemished king. So Brest was chosen as king because he was so beautiful, and that's a perfectly good way of choosing your ruler. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise, he was a terrible king. <laughs> so he keeps giving everything to his um, to his father's people, the Fomorians, and he's treating all the, the, the Tua de Danann terribly. Yeah. And they have enough when eventually the bard Querbra comes to stay with Bress and he is not provided with any decent food, with not decent lodging, and he is not paid for his music or storytelling. Ooh. And then he wrote the first satire. <laughs> without food quickly on a dish, without milk upon which a calf grows, without the lodging of a man under the gloom of night, and without proper payment for a group of storytellers, thus shall be Bress's condition. And with that, Bress's power collapsed. Everything he had going for him went bad. He couldn't get any grain, he couldn't get any crops, food, anything working for him anymore. And the two did on and completely turned against him. And he lost his kingship. And he went crying back to his daddy. As back across the sea with the rest of the Fomorians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that really, like, there's one thing I did want to say about the hospitality thing. Is you yes. hear a lot about the breaking of hospitality in the stories. Yes. Which, which sometimes, you know, the way it can skew the way you perceive it. It's like, oh, people must have been breaking it all the time. No. We talk this about was the so ex- much because mm-hmm. it's such a serious transgression. Absolutely. And it's something you still see in, in pop culture. 
Mm-hmm. Dying for the Game of Thrones reference. Red Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, Red Wedding is probably what most people will be familiar with in terms yes. of the hospitality. Of the ultimate of breaking of guest rights. And yeah. you see that all over the place, yeah. both in the mythological accounts and in the history. Yes. Is with the Dagda, um, is it first or second battle of Moitura? Uh, this, sec- yeah. With the, with the Fomorians and the Porridge? Yes, that's, yeah, second. Wait, uh, that's between the, the two, battle. or is it the second battle? Yeah. It's probably the second battle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just beforehand, they're meeting to try and call it off. Mm-hmm. And I can't get too much into this. <laughs> but essentially, the from the Fomorians, as you would have to, offer the dog to their hospitality. Mm-hmm. But they give him this porridge. Basically, if you eat what you, you, you have been offered, you've accepted the hospitality and you're mm-hmm. under their protection. They give him this porridge, the Dagda loves porridge, yeah. but it is disgusting. It's filled with dead animals and muck and blood and... And there's just so much of it. Yeah, and it's it's a never-ending pot of disgusting porridge. Mm-hmm. And the Dagda, he has to eat it or else he, well, He'll break hospitality. He'll yeah. break hospitality and they'll be able to attack him. And, and that's the fun thing about that one is they're still trying to operate within the rules. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're trying to manipulate like, the These rules. are the bad guys. Like, obviously, we mm. always do on Jade's Grey in Irish mythology, but for, from the point of view of the two of the Dalai, they're the bad guys. They also generally represent more unordered. Yeah. Na- they don't really follow the rules as much, but even then, they have to obey hospitality and they're yeah. trying to play by the rules. They're trying to be mm. sneaky. They're trying to get him to break it because they won't just kill him. Yes, he's their enemy, but they won't be allowed to unless he breaks hospitality. Because they'll they'll lose they'll they'll basically lose good graces of the ordinary people. Yeah. If yeah. they do that. Yeah. Which historically, the people who have broken guest rights do. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. get they lose the common people. Like brass. Like brass. Yes, like brass. Yeah. And that was again because we can also see the skewed idea that oh, it was just the common people being put upon if the king mm-hmm. was also required to display this hospitality to yes. his subjects he was only a good king if he was able to support his people and give them food and make mm-hmm. sure yeah. people, that make sure hosp- the hospitalities could provide hospitality yeah and so especially considering the time of the year it's a really interesting thing on the King sh- on breaking kingship like Brest Bres- did. Yes. Because we are obviously coming up to October soon. Mm-hmm. Halloween. Ooh. Ooh. So once again on the guest rights thing, you got the trick-or-treating guide. Mm-hmm. You have you went you didn't so much invite them in, but you still gave them the treats when they popped by. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you'd be breaking hospitality. It's time mm-hmm. you're to be defending your home against the supernatural elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on providing hospitality, if the king hadn't been providing hospitality. It is a theory, but it's combining both the trick-or-treating at Halloween mm-hmm. and elements found in my, one of my favourite Halloween stories, The Adventure of Nera. That mm-hmm. supposedly, when Halloween came about, if the king had been bad, the common people would dress themselves up in women's dresses, paint their faces, storm the king's house, kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when they, in this, one of the primary accounts that we have of that is the death of Louis Macron. This is the earliest, like, usage of the phrase drag him. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) It was a pun. Yeah. Because in the account, it's like, well, they can't tell is 
some of the accounts say that it was the, the common people, some say it was the common people dressed as women, some say it was the fairies, mm-hmm. but there was an account of, I think it was the late 17th century, rural farm in Tipperary, rural com- community in Tipperary. Mm-hmm. These officers found people breaking the curfew law, mm-hmm. and a bunch of men had their faces painted blue, wearing women's clothing, and when asked what they were doing out and about, they said, we are going out, we are the fairies. <laughs> now, from the modern point of view, that is, that is very amusing. <laughs> it ties back very deeply into the same ritual <laughs> that in the accounts of, well, the fairies attacked him because they were angry at the king for breaking the laws of the land, or was the common mm-hmm. people rising up as was their right? Mm-hmm. They are rising up, but they're symbolically yeah. reenacting the mm-hmm. justice that the fairies would be. Okay, so yeah. can all the drag queens of Ireland, headed, of course, by Patty, of course, a storm doll Erin, yes, and um, I'm oh, I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> That's what we yeah we're not yeah you've caught us. Yeah. <laughs> it was just our social. Our evil plan. <laughs> I suppose it's not quite incitement if we don't specify. Some. I am yeah. close and fast with the law. <laughs> like the Vermorians. Yeah. <laughs> it all ties together in the end. <laughs> Actually. Speaking back on the, the situation with the Fomorians and the Dagda and how they were manipulating the hospitality rules, mm. that same kind of thing led to the downfall of Cúchulain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was offered the meat of a dog at a campfire and he had a gesh upon him that forbade him from eating dog meat. So he had to either break his gesh mm-hmm. or break the laws of hospitality. Mm-hmm. And so he broke the laws of hospitality. Or no, he broke the, the gesh and lost his power. Yeah. <laughs> So actually, a yeah, post dog meat Cucullan versus Finn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I'm kind of in support of that because he did start his adventures killing a dog. Yeah, it's all so it's you know he deserved it <laughs> um, because you kill the dog. That's it. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Interesting what you were, you were saying earlier, Nisha, about um, Halloween and hospitality because there's a Christmas one. Yeah. Oh. As well, it's a tradition where you light a candle. And put in a single candle in the window. Mm-hmm. And the candle is re- meant to represent that any weary travellers are welcome in your place and you will show them hospitality. Now, in act- in like the real world, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. People come up to your door and most likely your mommy will go, get away! But, um, you hide in the bedroom. Oh, yeah, you, you blow out the candle and hide in the bedroom and turn off all the lights. Yeah. My mother also does that on Halloween, but... Um, yeah, we won't go into that. Yeah, but that, that is the traditional candle in the window means open to offering hospitality to anyone who needs it, mm-hmm. particularly in the dark winter months. Yeah. yeah. When hospitality was the most important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like during the summertime, when you're heavily agrarian like our, Ireland is, you're out working in the fields. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hospitality really comes in in the winter months when you yeah. want to be going around during, doing the night visitation. You want to be having your storytelling parties. Mm-hmm. You want to be doing indoor activities. Mm-hmm. So it's really, and that's one. And it the, could also be the difference between life and death. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Like ninety percent of our weather was rain and misery. You could freeze to, as a lot of homeless people now in Ireland do. We've kind of forgotten our ancient hospitality, mm-hmm. with particularly with the homelessness crisis and direct provision for anyone not from Ireland. We have a horrible housing crisis at the moment. Mm-hmm. Rent is extortionate. 
and there's more and more people, families even, homeless. We also don't treat immigrants very well, particularly no. asylum seekers. They can be stuck in a system called direct provision for up to eight years, if not more, in limbo, not allowed to work without their own space and huge like mental health problems and physical health problems from that. So our kind of tradition of hospitality in the Cade Mila Falcha has mm -hmm. really really fallen by the wayside yeah. in recent years with our own people and with other people we've just become kind of terrible yeah mm -hmm. yeah i'd see that more so happening in the post-celtic tiger years yes 100 percent. because i would generally see the fact that we actually maintained the old hospitality tradition amongst the common people maybe using mm -hmm. the word but the common people for a lot longer than the rest of europe yeah mm -hmm. Because I'm always reminded of the lyrics of one of my favourite songs from the Prince of Egypt, Blue Heaven's Eyes, and all you've got is nothing that's a lot to go around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you don't have much, you may as well share it. And yeah. it's been remarked upon by a couple of travellers from the 1800s how the poorer people in Ireland were always the most welcoming. Mm -hmm. yeah. They had nothing to give but what little bits and pieces they had they put in front of the guest. Mm -hmm. You put out the fine china and you welcomed them. Yeah. yeah. And the richer ones, you might give a cup of tea, you might, if you're lucky, they're mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've, as we've managed to become a bit, of, bit economically sound, yeah. apparently we're out of a recession, I didn't know, so mm. <laughs> we are. But oh no, only for the people who work mm -hmm. in um, the big IT companies and banks, they're mm -hmm. out of a recession. Yeah, because the banks really need that help. Mm. <laughs> But I think it is something that we have slowly and slowly become more and more divorced from. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, we, we keep a lot of the surface stuff, but in mm -hmm. the ways that it actually matters in providing yeah. for people, yeah. and making sure they're looked after, we've let that fall by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. That's a nice out. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's time for a sad song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's actually, there's... One of my favourite stories related to hospitality and people being turned away is um, the story of the pot of broth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which is Lady Gregory. She turned it into... It was a play, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but it, a weary traveller turns up at the door of a husband and a wife and he's, he's turned away. So he walks down the road, picks up a stone, comes back and knocks at the door. Mm -hmm. And the wife, God knows, I told you to go away! He's like, oh, well, I have a magic stone and this stone well you put it into a cauldron you put in water and it'll make you the stew never ending she's like oh oh i'm intrigued now so he comes in and he puts the stone in the water and he's there stirring the water yep it's coming along ground but do you know what 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 would really make this some garlic puts in the garlic well do you know do, do you know what what would absolutely make this the best stew Put in a couple of sausages. Puts in a couple of sausages. And this goes on and on with more and more ingredients. And eventually, he's like, ah, now, now this is the best stew. Of course, all the ingredients the stew's put in is given this fill, goes on its way. And the lady of the house thinks, oh, I've got this magical stone now where she's actually just made stew. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Like the, the person. Like, it, it has a kind of a happy ending where everyone gets mm -hmm. what they deserve ending. Yeah. Hey, I've heard... I, I'm not meant to talk on this. Go on, go on, I go on. This out. 
But I've heard another version, which I can't remember which country it was, but where it's much more generous. Because mm-hmm. um, our version is, you know, uh, the, the, the cunning trickster tricks the mean, stingy person. Mm-hmm. But the other version I heard was people have all gathered together. It's a time of not quite famine, but there's not much to go around. And someone takes out a pot and says, I've got a magic s- stone. And he's staring away and goes, you know, we'll do with this, you know, some onions. And someone says, well, I actually happen to have an onion. Mm. So put it in someone yeah, else yeah. goes, you know, mm. maybe a carrot might go nice with that. I, I have a carrot. And everyone offers up for something to it. Mm. And then collectively they make it. Mm-hmm. So you can, mm. it's told sometimes as a much more generous collective yeah. story. Whereas mm-hmm. our version of it, which I think says something about the Irish people. <laughs> <laughs> like being Trixie. We really, really <laughs> like being Trixie. Especially since, like, Trickster archetypes are always about dealing with those in power, and yeah. those of us who are telling the stories and those who are hearing the stories aren't the ones in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why you get so many people laying it on the landlords. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, <laughs> about the landlords. I, I feel like we've regressed to like the 1840s psychologically mm-hmm. as a nation mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of our hatred of the landlord class. <laughs> yeah. They are. Yeah. <laughs> no, Less. no, stop, Shadon. No. Mm-hmm. But on, yeah. on a nicer end of the landlords, I know it's not much, but there was a fun story of three women, they're all sisters, and they all live in the same little village community, and one day they all meet in the pub. They, don't, they are all panicking, they don't have any rent for the coming month. Mm-hmm. They've only got a few pennies to scrape together, they can't even afford the drinks they're drinking, but they're all in the snub together. They're complaining about their husbands because they're all out of work for various reasons. One of them's too skinny and just doesn't have enough strength. One of them is too fat now and spends all his day lazing around in bed. The other one is too obsessed with his gorgeous hair. And they're all complaining about this. And upstairs, there's their landlord. And he's drinking away with his gentleman friends. And he keeps hearing this raucous racket from the three biddies downstairs. And eventually <laughs> calls down to the bar going, Would you tell them to show up? And they go back. We will not shut her up telling him that he's paying for our drinks for the indignity. He's right, well, who are you? Oh, I recognise you all. You're my tenants. Okay, you know what? Why are your gumption? I've got to pay for these drinks and I've got an offer for you. Whichever of you can make the biggest fool out of your husband will not only get a hundred pounds, but you'll also get your rent paid for ten years. So obviously they go back and the first one uh, decides to make her husband think that he's dead. So she goes in, gives out to him for being up in the chair, going, what are you doing? You're meant to be lying down at the table for your wake. That's the neighbour's known. The neighbours come in and start lamenting the corpse. The other one goes off and tries to make them, goes up and starts kicking them. Why are you in bed? Your cousin, your brother's dead. Go off to his wake. And did you not know that you should be guarding his wake since he's your brother? Have you never heard about this? Well, you've got to strip naked and paint you all black. Give a little forked tail. <laughs> And then as he's approaching to watch over his brother's corpse, the wakers go, Oh my god, it's the devil himself come to claim his soul. The guy who is pretending to be dead looks up and goes, Oh god, the devil's coming to take my soul. So the corpse leaps out, running past all the corners. <laughs> They're panicking, while the devil starts chasing after his brother, who he thinks he's meant to be watching over. So corpse and devil running through the bog, and the other one, been asleep in bed, very heavy sleeper. The other one comes in, sees him with his gorgeous locks, cuts them all off. And as soon as he wakes up, she goes, What the hell are you doing in my house? Who the hell are you? Like, I'm your husband. No, you're not. My husband has a fine lock of hair. You're bald as an egg. He sees the mirror and starts to doubt himself that I've been transformed into someone else's body. Do I remember my own mind? 
And he runs outside when he hears all the commotion, and he sees the devil, and he sees a supposedly walking corpse run past him. He's like, well, the world's gone topsy-turvy. Uh, so what kind of ask the devil if he knows about all this? And the devil sees this strange, bald man running towards him. He starts running even faster, the corpse runs even quicker. But eventually they all pile on top of each other, the jokes are... Everyone figures out what's been going on, and the landlord's delighted. He thinks this is absolutely hilarious, so he gives them another offer. Tells them that if they can solve a logic puzzle, he'll not only give them all £100, but he'll pay for their homes for 20 years each. And I could go into the logic puzzle, but I forget it. Eventually they all figure it out, he pays the rent for the next 20 years, and they live happily ever after. Oh, which is rare for an Eric Bacchus. That's very rare. Although, hmm. That landlord. <laughs> I mean, seriously, using the peasants for his own entertainment. Yeah, yeah. That is well dodgy. Bloody yeah. rich people. Dance for me, peasants. Pretty much like. You've got to get uh, your kicks somehow. <laughs> if you're landed gentry without Netflix, I mean, <laughs> like, it's pretty much the ancient equivalent of watching Big Brother, isn't it? Except you've got live action. <laughs> and they literally have to do what you say because you'll make them homeless otherwise. I don't know, you could just go off and catch some sort of disease <laughs> instead. Like, well, go to India and get scarlet fever. Like the good old days. Yeah. Invent gin and tonic. That's the only good thing the landed gentry ever did. What have the landed gentry ever done for us? Big houses that the OPW own, and gin and tonic. <laughs> and then once again, it's just feeling. this weird kind of driving urge to check on the questions. Oh, wow. Oh. What happens if you refuse someone hospitality? Bad things. <laughs> yeah, generally just horrible, baddy badness. But... Slightly altering the trajectory of that question since I think we covered it. Mm-hmm. There were legitimate times that you could refuse to offer someone hospitality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see that so much, and it's one of my favourite motifs the storyteller at fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You show up at a house, you want hospitality for the evening, and you need to pay your way by telling a story. And it's usually people who don't know any stories, and it's like my big finisher for the story yeah mm-hmm. oh and now you have a story i know you've got a story mm-hmm. isn't that grand <laughs> which i could tell but i'd be spoiled anyway i do when when i went to darkland last november you did finish with that i did i remember yeah. that's before you you joined yeah. the ranks yeah. before you joined the rookery yeah <laughs> oh you have a degree in this <laughs> question Where is the leprechaun's home? Oh, and what answer do you want? <laughs> uh, well, will we go from where, what habitats are they usually found in first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. It depends on the origin story you go with. Mm-hmm. So, if you go with um, the Feilin origin story, mm-hmm. the Feilin is the leprechaun's ancestral home. Mm-hmm. It is one of the many fake islands of Ireland. Hundred percent real and accurate islands. You know? Oh, yes. <laughs> you just have to know what part of the sea you're going into. Can't be found be. by anyone who doesn't know. You know. It can only be found by someone who already knows where it is. That's the Pirates <laughs> yes. of the Caribbean one. <laughs> what appears once every seven years. 
yeah, Feilin, um we're off the coast of uh, Northern Ireland, between Ireland and Scotland. Mm-hmm. The leprechauns are actually Scottish in this particular version. Aye. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it. No, no, Nisha, don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Feilin is the home of the leprechauns, ruled over by King Lugdon and Queen Bebo. Queen Bebo of the Tardis Nether Regions. Okay, explain to someone who doesn't understand what that is. Oh, okay. So there, there's a story about Queen Bebo and King Fergus MacLady, who is a human. Oh, Queen Bebo was said to be three fifths tall. Fergus is a name that in Irish means <clears throat> well endowed. He was said to be seven fists. And endowed. I'll let you finish that in your own brains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so they get down to business, get jiggy with it. Yep, uh, she <clears throat> stretches. Basically, he he's um, having a nice time of it while holding his hand on top of her head and she's asking why. And he says, well, I'm, I'm not sure it's all going to fit. <laughs> and she explains that she is, in fact, a TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Bigger on the inside. A woman's thighs hold many secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Emily put it so much nicer than I did. <laughs> so after that filth, baby Jesus is crying and his crib. This is awful. I'm, you should know this by now. I'm a complete dirtbird. <laughs> like, I have oh, that, that lovely quote. I think it's Oscar Wilde. We're all in the gutter. We're looking so at the stars. stars yeah. No, I'm looking deeper into the gutter <laughs> to see what I can find there. Cole is still a leprechaun sanctuary up in County Longford. Uh, they're also said to frequent haunted ruins. No, it's yeah. not Longford, it's Loud. Loud, Loud, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's sorry. where they... I forget which strangely, of the begins with yeah. L. Strangely, in Carlingford and County Loud, they hold um, leprechaun hunts, mm-hmm. which is a very bizarre practice because mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to catch one even if you could. Yeah, that that's almost definitely a colonial festival. Yeah. It's like a substitute <laughs> for foxes. Oh my god, that's horrific. I mean leprechauns are sentient beings. It's oh my god, it's that horrible colonial <laughs> things there because that's actually something colonists did yeah, in some countries. Was wholesome. They keep coming up with this. When did we think that? I mean, they brought <laughs> civilization to the colonies. And roads. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and Christianity. <laughs> and flags. Don't forget the flags. Oh, no, lots no, no they didn't flags. bring flags, they brought flags. flags. It's yeah. not a real country if it doesn't have a flag. Exactly. Sorry? Vampire Lady Leprechauns. Oh, yes. So the Lesbian Lady Vampire Leprechauns, leprechauns of Schnee. <laughs> <laughs> Schneem is one of the funniest place names in Ireland. There's there's one in Leash up in the hills called Ballyhoppahorn, which is the most <laughs> fake sounding place name I've ever heard. No, no, no. My favourite is Kulshima. What? Kulshima. Really? It's down the back arse of nowhere, right? Obviously. But... Mine is fa- my favourite is uh, Greg Namana mm. in Cl- and, uh, that's and... Carlo, because mm. when I was whenever I read it, I just think Gore Girl. Mm. It's got way too many letters for the amount of syllables. What, what, what were you saying? Um, back to the gutter again. Yes. Um, oh, one of my favourites is Muff. Ah, yes. Which, for anyone not from Ireland, um, is... Um, well, remember when I mentioned um, the TARDIS earlier? It's, it's, it's a synonym. Um, 
but, TARDIS. Mm, interestingly, Muff has a Muff diving club, which for any Irish out there, you will know how hilarious that really is. And now Emily is about to get sick and Nisha is rubbing his temples as if I have given him the biggest headache of the world. Oh no, I'm just trying to contain all the filth. That's not what I'm just doing <laughs> Well, is this so is cool. why I'm never allowed on the podcast, by the way. Good to have you. I'll see you again. So anyway, uh, we're well, time for a question. Yeah, okay. Oh. We've run out of questions. We have run out of questions. We've answered everything. Under the sun. We have finished imparting all worldly wisdom to the world. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. You are. Mm-hmm. It's like we're the sound of knowledge and you've just burnt your thumb on our sweethearts and stuck it in your mouth. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm the only one allowed to be <laughs> inappropriate, Nisha. I'm being inappropriate. I'm talking about <clears throat> sucking on your thumb. That's wholesome. Babies do that. Babies do a lot of things, Nisha. Mm-hmm. And aren't that pleasant? <laughs> Ah, oh, yes. Yes. If you have any questions for us, you can tweet them to at leprechaun underscore IE or use the hashtag ask a storyteller or both. Both would be good. If you dare. We are also on Instagram at leprechaun museum. Mm-hmm. Please tag if you're in here ever and take a picture with the lovely, lovely heartbroken Seamus, mm-hmm. who is the abnormally tall leprechaun. Tag it, hashtag selfie with Seamus. Mm-hmm. And um, as I like to say at the end of my tours, maybe someday there'll be enough selfies taken that he'll stop crying himself to sleep every night. <laughs> About how nobody loves him. And he's going to die low. <laughs> Yeah, all our stories are pretty miserable. <laughs> so just think a nice traditional Irish ending. Mm-hmm. And then they will die. <laughs> so I've been Stephen. I have been and remain and continue to be Shannon. When I grow up, I hope to be Nisha. Goodbye. Slán. Slán gafal. Slán gafal.